up, everybody? We are back. Another episode of The Gentleman's Double. It's Riv Week. Personally, my favorite tournament of the year. Love Riviera. And we're coming off of a kind of a banger of a week at Pebble Beach. So uh, going to be a really, really interesting episode, though, because I'm here alone. The other Gentleman's Doubles boys um, kind of frozen in place. Down in Houston, no power right now. Um, we wish kind of the best to them and everybody else in Texas to, uh, you know, kind of come out of this this situation they're in with uh, the rolling blackouts and everything, um, hopefully soon. But for today, you guys just have me. This is Jake. And, uh, yeah, I'll be kind of taking you through some thoughts I had about um, Pebble Beach Week and a quick preview of Riv. The boys did send me in their picks, so you'll get to hear Dougie and Vince's um, picks for Riv Week. But uh, yeah, first of all, let's break down last week's amazing tourney at Pebble. Um, Daniel Berger coming off victorious, kind of putting his foot on the gas there on 18. Big eagle to seal the deal. But overall, kind of an interesting week, uh, realistically, right? Um, Pebble Beach Pro-Am with no AMs. And because of that, we got a little bit of a different course setup. So I like that throughout the week, the tour kind of moved um, the tees around and pin locations around to spots that maybe we haven't seen them as much. Uh, and it allowed for, I think, kind of the cream of that weak field to kind of come to the top. So another you know good week from Jordan Spieth. Patrick Cantlay uh, shoots a course record on Thursday. Um, you know, and then... Burger kind of classically hanging around and and making his Sunday push. So overall, I think it was a a very interesting week that way. For me, my kind of takeaways really revolve around what we saw from Jordan Spieth. I think that's what's on everybody's mind, right? Another great week from him, um, kind of showing progress. And this week. Driving it a little bit better, I think that's really the key takeaway that we saw. Um, you know, off the tee last week, or the previous week, in contention, you know, we kind of saw him leak uh, a lot of oil on Sunday, really from the first tee ball at uh, Waste Management. But then, you know, at Pebble, much better, much more middle of the road sort of driving week. I thought he kind of held it together too. Great approach week again. Putted only okay. Um, and so I, a week where the, maybe the putter wasn't as hot as it was in the previous week, but still like starting to see some signs that, uh, this might not be a total fluke. I think we're, we're starting to see some clear evidence that, uh, this is more of a, a rebirth in some ways than just a flash in the pan. Like we've seen over the last couple of years where, you know, Spieth will get a top 10 here, a top five here, he'll shoot a late you know, weekend 63 and kind of backdoor his way in and, and people kind of will, will, you know, say, hey, oh my gosh, Jordan Spieth, he must be back. But um, I think what you, you're getting here is if you're looking kind of closely at the numbers and closely at his type of play, this is very much the type of like sort of play that he has when he's at the top of his game. Just sort of barely hanging on with the driver, working with whatever shot he's got that day, and then just flagging it. And I, we saw that a lot um, this weekend at Pebble. Uh, the, the shot right of 10, or sorry, right of 11, um, absolutely incredible. For him to even get that on the green, to have a look at birdie there was was pretty impressive. Um, 
You know, we saw it a little bit on the front nine. Obviously, there were some scratchy points, right? Maybe not the best uh, thing to pull driver on three, knowing that you could get through the fairway. Decided to do it. But I, I just think for me, there's like plenty of stuff in that uh, round that is a takeaway more on the positive side of things than on the negative um, side of things. And, and I, for one, think that if he does eagle two on Sunday, um, that really kind of changes the whole round, that lip out. I, I think it was a little bit of a momentum killer also knowing that, you know, Berger had just um, eagled uh, in the group prior. So... I don't know. I think some really good stuff out of out of Spieth. Uh, in terms of the champ, the you know the winner from last week. What's there not to say really about Daniel Berger at this point? Uh, top fifteen in the world. You know, fought through some adversity. That wrist injury was really bad. Had a great year last year. Is continuing his his play. I think just like what you see is he's maybe a little bit more versatile than we give him credit for um, on our pod or, you know, even the, the guys on the bigger, bigger stages like golf channel and stuff like that. I mean, he really moves the ball around. Well, can hit a lot of different trajectories, which we, we heard a lot of that actually on, on Sunday, which I thought was, was cool for them to highlight that. Cause I feel like it gets a little bit lost in the sauce. Um, you know, that squeeze fade, you, you kind of, there's nothing really more dependable, I think on a golf course than a, a player who who has that kind of um, move and ball flight, and we saw it pay off. Like they, they had the tees up on ten, they they were playing the old recovered tee on ten, and you know he smokes one up there near the front of the green. Um, you know he Berger kind of like fights through uh, a little bit of adversity here and there in his round, and ends up you know uh, conquering eighteen after hitting one OB and making double on Saturday. So. Overall, I think, you know, it, it, it's just uh, you're seeing two players, right, who are comparable in a way. Spieth, someone sort of finding his way out of the woods, and his wasn't necessarily injury-induced, but, you know, for whatever reason, confidence, losing that in your game can be just incredibly hard to recover from. And then Berger, you know, we saw it with him last year, sort of bursting back onto the stage and now kind of continuing that good play and coming back from, you know, basically a year and a half, two years of, um, of being, being out of, of the spotlight. So really good week. Um, and, and, you know, there's just so many players really that we could talk about too. You got the great week from Cantlay, uh, who I think people will like look at and say that he didn't putt well, and that's really what killed him. And I think he actually, besides Saturday, he putted fine. I just think he's a guy who like, He's going to fall into wins a little bit still. I wish he was somebody who just took him, but I don't know if he's at that point yet where he's just a, you know cold-blooded and, and can snatch one away. Um, despite, I mean, obviously, the, the guy can just absolutely thrash it, and uh, it looks pretty effortless for him out there. But even the, even Cantlay, uh, going back to my previous point, is another player, you know, it's a couple of years now, but... Coming back off personal tragedy, really tough injury, um, you know, a guy who had a lot of promise coming out. They're all kind of in that same boat, and I think that that made for a fascinating uh, sort of final day. My last takeaway on Pebble, I think that golf course is sort of criminally underrated. I wish it would get um, restoration. I wish they could bring back some of the look that it has in, in some of those photos from like the, the 20s and 30s 
Um, obviously, that's a really tough ask because it's a resort and they, people pay, pay a lot of money to play there. Um, but I, I think every time you see it on TV, and you see it a lot, you see it every year, sometimes twice a year if it's got a U.S. Open, um, that, that front nine is just incredible. The back nine, a little iffy, but, I mean, 14's a killer hole, right? It, it nuked Jordan on Sunday. It's, it's a true par five. It's not a really gettable five, which is rare on tour. Um, and then, you know, 16, 17, and 18 are definitely an interesting uh, closing stretch um, with plenty of teeth in certain spots. So, overall, I just think that, like, uh, I think we underrate Pebble a little because we see it so much and because it's beautiful and we kind of default to the beauty of it. But it's got some great, great golf holes that are extremely entertaining to watch. And I think it's one of the few courses where tiny greens actually help it, help defend it, um, and uh, help keep it relevant despite its yardage. So, yeah, love Pebble. Great week at Pebble Beach. All right, in our second clubhouse topic, we're moving on to Riv Week, uh, Genesis Invitational, um, elevated status event, insane field, really, really uh, stacked. I think... Honestly, I think a lot of tour players just sort of star this on their calendar. You know, this is one of their favorites. Um, for a lot of them, it's uh, in an area where they spend some time anyway. But it's just an incredible golf course. To me, if we were going to take a look at, you know, the, the two best regular tour stops, non-major tour stops, you have them kind of in back-to-back -back weeks here, right? Like Pebble, just like I said, really good. Um needs a restoration. Riv, in my opinion, kind of even better. Maybe needs a little bit of uh, a little bit of work here and there, but I mean it's just such a good golf course. And watching pros play a course where strategy, um, how you use contours, what angles you kind of are uh, creating off the tee is so incredibly interesting. Um, and vastly superior to what we see on a week-to-week -week basis um, on tour. So I, I, I just like love Riv Week. Uh, I heard someone describe this back-to-back -back week stretch uh, of Pebble and then Riv as like Pebble being the like really hot girl you date in high school who ends up kind of being maybe a little uh, um, superficial, and then Riv is like the maybe not as good-looking but like deeper woman that you meet and end up marrying. And that's definitely the way that I feel about the two courses. I wish I could give credit to whoever said that. I, I read it and, and I can't think of it right now. Um, but yeah, I think Riv Week, it always produces a great winner. Um, and it, it, again, a course with so many different options out there where different styles of play can win. We've seen um, bombers like DJ and Bubba be extremely successful there. We've seen ball strikers like Adam Scott. Um, you know, Charles Howell has won there, obviously not on the same tier as these other players right now, but it really just it kind of benefits anyone's game, and I think that that's the mark of a, of a great golf course. So... As we head into Riv Week, uh, we have some different picks. Last week, I took Will Zalatoris. Not a great week. I was heavy on Willie Z last week. Thought for sure Pebble was going to set up great for him. And uh, I, uh, we would see his um, you know, victory out of him. 
unfortunately not the case and I think I came in last yeah I did uh, last week at Pebble so uh, my pick of Willie Z not so good Vince went out on a limb and took Jason Day and it ended up actually being a good pick Jason Day had a decent week last week showing some form he plays really well there and uh, despite you know some massive struggles in the three weeks prior um, definitely some stronger play out of him last week was in the mix, like kind of sneaky in the mix early Sunday. And then, you know, that that ball striking that just isn't his strength right now kind of took him out of it a little bit. And then I think Doug, he took Cantlay, so good week out of Doug. Um, I know in the pool he took Will, uh, like the, the big pool at Vincent Doug do, he took Willie Z, so maybe not great overall, but in our little game, um, Cantlay for Dougie, and obviously, you know, a uh, a top five finish for uh, for Cantlay. So this week, um, being that I came in last, I do not have first pick. So let's see what the boys had to say. And we're going to start off with Dougie. And I, I don't really have a reason. I literally just, they're trying to conserve battery over there on those cell phones. The towers are overloaded down there in Houston. Not getting a lot of communication. But all I got is two words, a first and a last name. Dougie is taking one of my favorite players, a guy that I took a couple weeks ago. He's taking Scotty Scheffler this week, which every course sets up good for Scheffler. Um, an absolute flusher. Um, but on top of that, I think this is a, a place where it would be a massive win. Like for, for Scheffler to win in this kind of environment um, at an elevated status event, that would be big, and I think that would be a good like sort of jump starter for him. Not that he hasn't played well, but just to get over the hump um, and to kind of cement the fact that you know he's not just like a Finau 2.0 kind of situation, uh, a guy that's kind of out there, really really consistent week to week, but but uh, someone who can um, push through and win. So good, I think that's a good pick by Doug. Actually, I really really like that one. And Vince this week is taking Xander Shoffley. That's actually surprising. Uh, Vince is kind of pulling a big name out of the hat early. He need, he, I know he's struggling a little bit this year in, in the big pool. So uh, Xander Shoffley for Vince. What's there to say about, uh, about Xander? I mean, I think he's number one in the Sagarin rank, rankings right now, which are um, a little bit more of a uh, analytics-driven ranking rather than the sort of OWGR situation. Um, you know, he's fourth in the world. Just, I mean, how good has he been hitting it? Got longer in the offseason, the shortened offseason. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's a really, really good call by Vin. And a guy, you know, California dude, San Diego, um, you know, maybe maybe that home field advantage to a degree is, is something for him. So I, I think uh, Xander's a nice pick by Vince. All right, that comes down to my pick. I have waffled back and forth on if I want to use a big name now or not. Um, and I, I've decided that I'm, I'm going to take the, the number one player in the field this week. I think his odds are something ridiculous. They're like five to one if you look on certain betting sites. Uh, and that is Dustin Johnson. And my reasoning is pretty simple. I think he's number one strokes gained or historically strokes gained in every category possible in his time playing at Riv. The guy just lights it up out there. The course sets up so well for him. 
Um, I would sort of probably wrestle between him and Bubba if Bubba was in better form right now. But I think uh, DJ winning in Dubai or in Saudi Arabia, taking a week off, the, the guy can just kind of turn it on at any point right now. I think he's sort of fully realizing himself in the last 12 months. The thing is, well, we've seen how hard it is for him to get over the hump at a major. I was going to save him um, for the U.S. Open or for the PGA. But you know what? I think this is a week where he, he will just pop up and win. Um, so I'm going to take Dustin Johnson this week at the Genesis. All right. I'm sure you guys are tired of hearing my voice. We're 15 minutes into this thing, and it's just me. But one last little piece of news that I think is worth throwing out there um, kind of came down earlier today. Mike Wan, former head of the LPGA, has taken on the uh, CEO role of the USGA. I don't know really what this means, but I think it's important news to kind of factor in um, because Mike Wan has been incredibly successful uh, leading the LPGA to expansion and to becoming more um, sort of in the mind's eye of golfers to creating a better product on the LPGA. Um, finding ways for the LPGA to, you know, gain sponsorship, all these different things. It's really been Mike Wan for the past, like, 11 years, um, taking something that was really on last legs and, and kind of building it into what it is today. And listen, in my opinion, women's golf does not get nearly the play that it should. Um, I think a lot of the people that listen to this podcast should definitely watch women's golf because it's an in incredible sort of version of the game, um, and we've talked about it a lot, that, that mimics what really good everyday male players do. Not, not that they're as good or even close to as good as those female pros, but the game itself, the courses that they play, the yardages that they hit it are much more similar to the everyday golfer. And I think that you can sort of see certain things that they do in their game and go like, wow, uh, that's, that's so creative or that's so crafty. Um, things that we don't always see in the men's game um, you know, as they're just mashing the ball all over the place. But that's, you got to credit Mike Wan with the growth um, that we've seen, with the course choices, um, with some of the risks that they've taken. That's really all on his watch. And I think it's, it's changed their tour immensely uh, in, in the best way possible. Now he's going to the, to the USGA. And I, I don't know what to think only because I think that, what makes Mike Wan so successful, or what has, I should say, is that he's just like a really good strategist and salesman, right? Like, he was a, I think he worked for equipment companies before. He sold, he's been in, in the business world. Um, and essentially what he did with the LPGA was find ways to make them more attractive and profitable to sponsors and to sort of gain notoriety and fill out their calendar. And now he's going to a governing body who <laughs> just put out a report about like equipment rollbacks, which Mike Wan in the past has been against for the women's game. And so that's like an interesting sort of, I don't want to call it conflict, but it, an interesting kind of uh, nut to crack, so to speak. Like I would assume that his role is in, in part to change the image of the USGA, right? A lot of pros, unfortunately, look at the USGA as like a 
power broker, right? They hold the rules over the pro's head. Um, they do it without thought. Um, they do it without research. They just kind of swing their weight around. And I think that that's an un unfortunate thing that's happened in, you know, my time watching golf the last 15 years or so, maybe even a little bit more, where certain pros like, you know, Phil Mickelson is sort of notorious for this. Um, he, he does not like the uh, USGA and the way that they've set up U.S. Open courses in the past. I know that recently we've had comments from Rory, comments from JT. Um, and to, to some degree, I think part of their complaints are valid. Um, you know, from another angle, I think at times they get worried that their game is going to be changed and it's going to affect like their ability to be successful as the best players in the world, when in reality... I think a lot of the changes that are proposed in the game would only benefit the best players. It would it would separate them from the field, and I don't know. It's really tough. It's really tough. But I, I going back to the Mike Wan thing. I see Mike Wan as someone who could change the image of the USGA for everyone, I guess, to a degree, and hopefully put them in a place where they're a little bit more in the forefront of people's minds, not just for rules and things like that, but as uh, an organization that does some creative things, goes to some interesting places for their tournaments. I think that's actually one of the big things that Mike Wan could do because we've seen him do it um, on the LPGA, which is, you know, get us out of the kind of, we're only going to these certain places to do these tournaments. You can have those really great traditional U.S. Open venues, but like, it's okay to go back to Aaron Hills. It's okay to go back to Chambers Bay, even if those experiments maybe didn't go the way that you wanted to, them to go in the first place. Um, it's okay to go to a course that is maybe slightly tr uh, traditionally too short by today's equipment standards. Like I know they're planning on going back to Marion, but you know I, I went to 2013. Vince and I both did went to 2013 Marion together. What they did to that course in 2013, unfortunately, took away from the the beauty of what that course is, right? Narrowing it and growing it to the degree they had to do to combat distance. So I think some of the things that Mike Wan could really do would be, um, you know, a lot like what he did in reimagining the LPGA while also like uh, connecting it to history in a way is what he could do um, with the USGA at this point. And I think the other thing is he's a really affable, likable guy. And frankly, we haven't always had that with, um, you know, USGA heads. So I think that's another thing where you'll see people kind of adhere to him more than maybe we've seen in the past. I don't know. I could be hopeful. Uh, I am hopeful, I should say. And uh, I guess we have to see how this kind of plays out as we move forward. But all right, that's 23 minutes of me solo potting this thing. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Fingers crossed for everybody down in Texas, uh, including my co-hosts. If you, uh, you know, you're kind of doing your thing, you're, you're locked in, you're frozen in, you're going through this hellacious winter that we're all going through, do yourself a favor. Grab your, uh, grab your favorite drink, pour it, and don't forget to make it a double. Thank you so much. Have a great week, guys.